0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think you're going to like this. We've said before that in this day and age, when you look at the kind of signees a program like Georgia has, and this is true probably for any program, but it's Georgia we talk about, when you look at those signees in any given recruiting class, it's the ones who have a chance to play right away who matter more than the others, with all due respect, because as we've seen, sometimes even for touted freshmen who could have a bright future, if they don't find that immediate impact, they have a tendency to get a little restless, have a tendency to want to kind of move on and see if the grass might be greener somewhere else. Georgia's not immune to that the same way any other program is. So when we look at a uh, number one class like Georgia just brought in, the question that sort of races to the top of everyone's mind is okay, well, of these guys, who are the ones that can play right away? Who are the guys that could help Georgia in its pursuit of a possible national championship for 2024? Who is that and who could that be? And it's interesting to know that the biggest entity of them all is touting a freshman in particular as being able to perhaps be able to do just that for Georgia here this season. I think this is really interesting. And I like the way that Connor Riley. Framed this at dognation.com when he wrote about this. The notion of the top newcomer for UGA. And I want to read what Connor wrote about this because uh, I think that Connor sort of explains this in a really good way in the fact that Georgia brings in a lot of transfer players. Connor writes that ESPN recently tried its hand at predicting which of those newcomers will either be the most important for Georgia in the 2024 season. As Connor mentioned, you got Trevor Etienne coming in, you got Colby Young coming in. You've got uh, Ben Urasek, the tight end from Stanford, coming in. You've got uh, uh, London Humphreys, the wide receiver from uh, Vanderbilt, coming in. Georgia would seem to have really helped itself in the transfer portal in this offseason, bringing in sort of ready-made, experienced players that will contribute from perhaps the word go. But as Connor points out, Tom Van Herren from ESPN did not name any of those as the top newcomer for Georgia. Instead, naming a freshman, the five-star cornerback signee, Ellis Robinson. And the quote from Van Haren about Robinson at ESPN.com is this that he's six foot one, 180 pounds from IMG Academy, and he should be, here's the word we like, instant impact recruit for the dogs. He will help continue the long standing tradition of excellent secondary players and fits exactly what Coach Kirby Smart and his staff want in a cornerback. So there you go. In a time in which the players that can play right away matter more than others, Robinson is touted as a guy who can be that instant impact dude. And it's kind of worth noting, you know, I don't know how much attention I always pay to this, the sort of comparison of the individual player rating over the course of years. I'm not oftentimes sure how accurate some of that kind of stuff always proves to be. I do believe in the categories, five-star, four-star, things like that, but the individual player ratings I think get pretty specific, and I think the more specific you get, the more difficult it is to be truly accurate. But the point is, is if you care about like the individual player ratings, this is one of the highest-rated players that Georgia has ever signed in the Kirby Smart era, predating that. This is a big-time, big-time prospect. In fact, ESPN has liked Ellis Robinson for a very long time, and so therefore they're calling him the sort of instant impact guy that Georgia fans are going to be very impressed with right away, even more so than... Just based on the kind of the conceit of the of the piece, the the concept of the piece, even more so than players in other positions who have more experience, they're sort of more interested in Robinson right now than anybody else. And what you love about this is is that's obviously a level of fame and attention that could perhaps sometimes go to a player's head, and, and maybe you know the the old school you know adage of being worried about recruits is sort of a little bit more into the glamour and the glitz of it all, and perhaps not. All that into the thing that George is famous for, which is taking these very talented players, finding a way to make them more mentally and physically tough, and then getting the best out of them that way. The truth is, is when you come to a guy like Ellis Robinson, you know, I don't think you have to worry quite so much about that. One of the reasons why that's the case is because of what Kirby Smart has sort of said about him and the other 2024 defensive back signees. This is a clip we've actually played for you before. The other day, when we were talking about DeMello Jones, who impressed so many folks during those state championship games in Mercedes-Benz Stadium back in December. But in the context of all of this, Ellis Robinson, who's actually a higher-rated recruit even than Jones is, and getting the attention for ESPN today, uh, what Kirby Smart said about all these guys way back in December, all of a sudden, this feels more relevant once again. Uh, Pretty strong praise here from Kirby for Robinson and these other 2024 defensive back signees. They all got good speed. Demello's a track guy; can run. Andre Evans can run. Uh, Ellis can run, and, and KJ runs track and can run. They're all four got great speed. They're all, they're all tremendous character kids. I mean, like, like they're fun to be around. DeMello is a fun guy to be around. Those other guys are fun guys to be around. And, you know, they'll have growth to do. They'll have to grow up. But we're in need at that position. We're under our, 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 what I call our quota. We're under our quota there. And they're going to get thrust into some opportunities to get to go out there and and play and compete. So if you want to have an idea of why Ellis Robinson is a five-star, you know, ESPN thinks he could be an instant impact guy, but that doesn't create, apparently, some huge sense of ego in him because kirby smart says he's still fun to be around and he's long and he can run i mean that's that's what a quarterback is right there especially the sec level do you have good length can you run you know are you coachable do you fit into a program like uga that asks a lot from its defensive backs but has the potential to reward them with being future first round picks the way that kamari laster might be here this upcoming spring that is what ellis robinson apparently brings to the table and to kind of further this point a little bit more you know, our Jeff Sintel had a chance to catch up with Ellis. You know, back in uh, Orlando uh, around the Under Armour game, and you know the whole notion of kind of what he expects from himself at the college level, and the fact that none of this seems to be going to his head at all, even though he is one of the highest rated recruits of, of all time that Georgia signed and the kind of guy that ESPN thinks could be a player kind of right away from the word go. In the case of Robinson, though, basking in those accolades, he seems uninterested in that. Instead, more interested in what he needs to do to make sure all of those predictions actually come true. I like this from Ellis in his own words back in December.
1: I'm just trying to go into Jordan and just work, really. That's all I'm trying to really focus on is working. You see guys going in the portal and out of the portal. I think, Julie this evening, does that motivate you all? You all are like I need to be ready just in case. Like how do you approach that? I mean, either way you go, you know, I'm still going to be locked on, locked in. I'm still going to work regardless, no matter who's there. So, you know, I'm always going to compete.
0: So, listen in that short clip that you just heard from Ellis Robinson. You heard him use the word "work" and "hard work" a couple of different times. That is clearly what he's all about. That is clearly what he wants to do. So, all of this seems really, really great. ESPN touts Ellis Robinson, Uh, Kirby Smart has touted Ellis Robinson, Robinson himself has sort of openly declared his commitment to hard work. There's nothing that you don't like about that at all. But let's kind of take this to sort of that next level here for a moment of, Okay, what specifically could this mean? Smart talks about the quota they need of defensive backs, that all of those 2024 signees help sort of fill a void of Georgia, who needs as many players as they can get at those uh, positions. There's obviously that. But then beyond that, okay, but what, what specifically does that look like? And if Robinson is kind of a player right away and getting significant playing time, if he could perhaps emerge as a starter, kind of how would his playing profile be put on display? The best that I can tell is there are a couple of different kinds of really good cornerbacks that you see at the UGA level, the SEC level. And I think it's kind of interesting to talk about the difference between the two. Like on the one hand, you sort of have the Kamari Lasseter, you know, kind of player. I mentioned that a moment ago, where Lasseter's one of those guys almost like a good umpire where you don't really think about him that much you know it's like if you're thinking too much about the umpire at a baseball game that means the umpire is probably messed up the case of a lockdown corner the fact that you could go a long period of time sometimes within a game without thinking much about kamari or having announcers mention his name i think was sort of perhaps a testament to the fact that last year was just sort of taking care of his side of the field and perhaps encouraging quarterbacks and you know, offensive coordinators to think about the other side of the field as the place they may want to go with the football. That's kind of what Lasseter did. He did his job in such a solid way that oftentimes it would go unnoticed because of how, uh, I guess, consistent he was at kind of taking care of his side of the field. And that's certainly a thing that Ellis Robinson might be able to do. But I also wonder if Ellis Robinson could perhaps also be a little bit of a different kind of cornerback for UGA and kind of bring the sort of dynamic level of athleticism that's made him a five-star and made him so touted and, and, and made him get so much attention. And perhaps if that could help Georgia kind of unearth something that we sort of think the 2023 defense was missing a little bit, that Georgia just wasn't quite as, I used the word, I think, dynamic a moment ago. The Georgia defense in 2023, while it was certainly solid, was just not quite as dynamic as the best of Georgia has been. Maybe 2021 as the shining example of this. That's obviously maybe the greatest defense of all time. Uh, but nonetheless, that is a standard that's available to UGA. And in some respects, the 2023 defense was probably just a you know a level or two below that. And I think one of the best ways to measure that. Remember the old days, you know, Kirby Smart, circa like say 2019 or so, was talking a lot about havoc rate, the sort of percentage of sacks, tackles for losses, passes broken up, turnovers that you were getting and that Georgia really wanted to increase its so-called havoc rate. And at various times they've done you know better or you know not quite as well, depending on what you're looking at at a given moment. I was looking at some of the stats here uh, for this past year, and I saw one stat block. I, I don't know if this is accurate, but the best I can tell it is that Georgia was 21st last year with a havoc rate of 18.6%. The more basic counting stats sort of tell you a similar thing. Georgia this past season was just 20th in America with 14 total interceptions, tied for 65th in America with 72 tackles for loss, and tied for 47th in America with 30 sacks. Now, if you're Ellis Robinson on the field as a freshman, you may not be getting lots of tackles for loss, and you may not be getting lots of sacks. But if you are really locking down your guy, your side of the field, and creating a situation where a quarterback has a hard time getting rid of the football, does that create more opportunities for sacks? And if the front seven, the edge rushers, if they really feel like you've got your situation locked down, does that free them up? Does that free Glenn Schumann and DeVaris Roberts, the defensive coaching staff? Does that free them up more to turn the guys up front loose? And can Georgia kind of get back to the sort of stuff behind the line of scrimmage with sacks and tackles for loss that sort of made the 2021 defense as famous as it was? And obviously for Georgia, who did not have a real strong penchant for turnovers a year ago. The kind of athlete that Robinson is, if he does truly earn his way onto the field for for his first season here at UGA, he perhaps could play a big role in kind of getting Georgia back to some of that kind of stuff there as well. There is a lot that's right, in other words, about Georgia defensively, but there is a level of achievement available to that unit, the Georgia defense, that probably didn't get fully unlocked in 2023. So as you hear ESPN and all the recruiting websites saying all these nice things about Ellis Robinson, as you hear Kirby Smart himself sort of validating the fact that that Robinson, yeah, does bring a lot to the table, I think it's kind of fun this time of year to think about what that could mean for the Georgia defense. A Georgia defense that was at times solid last year while not always being spectacular. Maybe there's a chance to do some more of the spectacular, explosive, dynamic things On defense here this year. The havoc rate, the the kinds of plays that produce turnovers and lost yards that make Georgia really tough to beat. Maybe a guy like Ellis Robinson could earn his way onto the field and help Georgia improve in those statistical categories for the upcoming season. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good to have you as a part of our program today, no matter how you get to us. Of course, we're first in 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. across all video platforms. After that, we're on the radio, Athens, Sports Radio 960, the ref, podcast, however you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, our good friend Kaylee Manzel helping us get that up each and every day. We certainly appreciate all of that, and... We appreciate our friends at Kroger for making today's show possible for you there as well. How exciting is this? The guided kids cooking experience, known as Kroger Chef Junior, returns again here this month—the uh, month of uh, March, anyway. I should say you are. No, you've got one more day to do this. You got February seventeenth here coming up. So, uh, one more time to do this here in February. That's February 17th, and this month making pineapple sauces. So, that's coming up here this weekend, your chance to be a part of that. Uh, select Kroger locations. To find one near you, you can go to the website KrogerChefJunior.com. The word junior spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, Kroger Chef Junior. Find out how you can make the pineapple sauce with you and your child there. And then also get all the great kind of uh, accoutrements that go along with that, such as the, uh, the apron, the patch, the chef's hat, the chopper also get a recipe card and holder, and as I said before, it's just $7 per child. So check out KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. That's KrogerChefJr.com. One more chance to check that out this month. That's this weekend, uh, and you can find out a participating location near you and make yourself some pineapple salsa with your child. That'll be a lot of fun, and it's just $7 per child. Okay, before we do anything else, let me give you a little bit of a programming note about next week. We think we got something really fun for you in store. I am stepping away from work. I think I've mentioned this. Every February, kind of like our kids are out of school for a little bit, so it gives us a chance to sort of be with the kids a little bit, something we you know want to take as much opportunity to do as we possibly can. So we appreciate your patience as I do that. And the one thing you should know, and hopefully I've said this enough over the years, we take very seriously the kinds of shows we put together for you while I'm not here. So one of the things we're going to do next week. Now, Monday show is going to kind of be just a normal Dog Nation daily. We're going to record that today. It'll air on Monday. That's fresh content. There may be some news that breaks over the weekend, but um, and if so, Dog Nation will obviously be covering that in all forms and fashions. But Monday's show will just sort of be a typical pre-recorded edition of Dog Nation daily. Speaking of Kaylee, we're going to bring her on for a Kaylee's Corner again. We enjoyed that a couple of weeks ago, so we'll do that. But it's also, in addition, just sort of a regular episode of Dog Nation Daily. Friday, we're back live again. So there you go on that. So just a few days worth of kind of non-live shows. But on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we've invited the regular Dog Nation contributors that you normally hear here. That's Mike Griffith. That's Connor Riley. That's Jeff Sintel. We're going to do what we call the Dog Nation Roundtable. It'll be the four of us just kind of going through a list of topics, some involving Georgia, some involving the SEC, some involving the full uh, width of the college, uh, the sport of college football overall, and we're just going to kick around some topics and have a really good time with that. We've recorded that already. I think it turned out really well. I thought all of our uh, Dog Nation teammates really brought their A-game there on that. A lot of work and a lot of time went into doing this. But I think you're going to really like it. I think it's some of the best stuff we've done here in a little while. So we'll do that with you coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week. In other words, we've got some great shows, even though I will not be live for some of them. But back live again on Friday. So if anything happens, we'll be there to react to that then. And obviously, the rest of the Dog Nation folks will be here to react to that while I am gone. Now, you might say, well, B.A., what could happen? Is there anything out there that perhaps could happen? I don't know, but you never know, I don't guess. So with that in mind, let's get ready to to a transition to around the doghouse here, poured by the Finnish long drink. And and just for a minute, because sometimes we like to have a little fun. Just for a minute, I'm going to sort of stir the pot a little bit about a possible rumor that might start to take shape just a little bit. Uh, you remember Keon Saab. That's a name we once talked about around Dog Nation as a recruit. Uh, four-star safety coming out of IMG Academy. Took a official visit to Georgia. You know, Georgia was kind of in the mix. When it was all said and done, Sab chose Michigan. You may be aware that Michigan recently lost its head coach, Jim Harbaugh. You may be aware because Alabama went through this. That In this day and age, when a head coach leaves, that opens up a 30-day transfer portal window for players when their head coach is gone. And one, at least one, of the Michigan players has decided to take advantage of that transfer portal window reportedly. We'll show you this from uh, Pete Nakos at uh, On3. aforementioned Keon Sab has entered the transfer portal. On3 Sports has learned the former top 100 prospect, and four-star recruit at 28 tackles and two interceptions this past season. So let's connect the dots here for a moment. And this may be somewhat reckless speculation, but if it is, it's more of a misdemeanor than a felony. Uh, in this particular case, we know that Georgia once recruited Sab, hosting him on visits. Uh, we know that Georgia thus far this season has had interest in a safety in the transfer portal. Now, that may have been more an example of sort of best player available than position of need perhaps because obviously you've had a chance to get Caleb Downs, of course you would want him. Uh, we now know, and this is water under the bridge, but uh, but Downs made the decision to go to Ohio State. But if Georgia was open for business when it came to an elite safety uh, and it's not going to be Caleb Downs, could uh, could, could someone like uh, Keon Sab here be another really good option for UGA? I mean, I'd say there's a chance, right? I mean, let's just think about the possibilities here. I'd say there's a chance. Now, you may come back and say, well, B.A., what about the scholarship numbers? I think I've told you this before. At this point in time, I've given up on the scholarship numbers. I have no idea. Uh, I, here, here, The only thing I can assume the scholarship number, because I think right now we have Georgia at about 90, I think, with, which they're only allowed to have 85. Uh, I think the 90 number is, is what we're kind of working with right now. All, all we can assume is the Georgia behind the scenes has this figured out. They're not going to sort of publicly explain their accounting processes here, nor do they necessarily need to. It's their prerogative to, as long as they're taking care of business, it's their prerogative to keep their trade secrets, you know, somewhat secret if they want to. But the point is, I'm not going to let an 85 scholarship limit uh, stop me from the possibility that maybe Georgia goes out and gets a guy like Keon Sapp. And I guess sort of one more kind of small point on this, and this is mostly just for fun. When Georgia a couple of different times, uh, was trying to recruit Caleb Downs. What was the one thing we always heard? Now, you never know how much of this stuff is really true and how much of this is just sort of the received wisdom of the rumor mill. But um, the one thing we heard over and over again about Georgia's pursuit of Caleb Downs is it was always just sort of doomed from the start because apparently Georgia did not recruit Josh Downs, Caleb's brother, well enough. Downs was a very good wide receiver, ended up at UNC. Uh, Georgia perhaps did not give uh, the earlier, older Downs uh, the attention they thought he deserved in the recruiting trail, and so therefore the Caleb Downs recruitment just never quite went the way it was supposed to go because there was a little bit of a sour relationship, we're told, allegedly, involving Georgia and Josh Downs. Well, guess what? Here's something here to tell you. And the person of Keon Saab, apparently that's not going to be a problem because I'm here to happily report that many, many years ago, Georgia did offer Keon Saab's brother a scholarship. So, therefore, whatever may have plagued Georgia when it comes to Caleb Downs and Josh Downs, you might be led to believe that won't be a problem for Keon Saab. In fact, let me go way back here to May 24th, 2021, when Georgia offered Amari Sab a scholarship. Sab is a prospect, I think for the class of 2026, 20, uh, but he was offered by Georgia on May 24th, 2021, saying at the time, on when the platform is still known as Twitter, blessed to receive an offer from Georgia. And he tags a whole bunch of people there in that. So Georgia has offered Keon Sab's brother. So therefore, you won't have the the, the Caleb Downs, Josh Downs problem to worry about here. Now, do I know for a fact that George's going to go after Keon Sab? Do I know for a fact that Georgia's got room for Keon Sab? Do I know for a fact that Sab would want to... To come to Georgia, obviously he chose Michigan the first time around. Um, I don't, I don't know any of that, but am I openly speculating here? Because it's a little bit fun. Yeah, I guess in a roundabout way, I am. Uh, that if Georgia did go after Caleb Downs a couple of weeks ago, then maybe they might be interested in a guy like Sab there as well. It's at least worth following, right? So uh, we'll see where all of that goes. And we'll make that around the doghouse here today, poured by our friends at the Finished Long Drink. And speaking of having fun on the weekend, boy, what a great time it is to do that. And there's no better way to do that than with the finished long drink, the ready-to-drink cocktail that looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. It's a mixed drink that's already mixed for you. And- We heard from our our good friend dina pro the other day she won a golden shoe because she found some of that long drink peach flavored version she said yeah i thought you're a liar because i couldn't find it anywhere uh it's so popular it's been selling out left and right but she found it she tracked it down that's how enjoyable the flavor of the finished long drink is and that's why if you haven't tried some it's your time to do that or it may be your time to go pick some up again for a really fun and enjoyable weekend for whatever you have planned and going on. So make sure you find The Long Drink online at thelongdrink.com. You can read more about the story of kind of how it came to be in Helsinki back in the 1950s when the summer games were there, then in America, now in Georgia, and pretty much everywhere. Whether it's the peach-flavored version, the long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, the long drink traditional, the blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, you know, i all know that's kind of my favorite on All of that, but you can find it today. So find them online, thelongdrink.com, for a lot more on that. That is thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that. All right, so before we're done with the program today, maybe a little bit of hypocrisy on the part of the Big Ten. What can I tell you about that? At least one Georgia player. Uh, seems pretty set up for uh, success when it comes to the exciting new EA Sports college football video game. We'll tell you about that and kind of all the details as it relates to that. And uh, have just a good time here before we wrap it up on a Friday. But for now, what you came for, the recruiting information, uh, what's next for Georgia, some big names in the news. Uh, let's see if we can cover all of that ground right now. As welcome on Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. A lot of recruiting stuff to get into with Jeff Sintel, so uh, let's dive into this. And Jeff, I was joking somewhat in our uh, Around the Doghouse segment before you joined us. Georgia went after a safety the other day. Caleb Downs didn't quite work out. Now you got a new safety in the market, Keon Saab. Georgia has offered his brother, so therefore that's a box that's kind of checked on this. This is a guy that's been hosted on visits. You've written about him a number of times there at dognation.com, and now he's back on the open market again. I have no idea from an accounting standpoint how Georgia would find room, just given the fact they seem like they got about 100 players on scholarship right now as it is. But uh, any chance you think Georgia kicks the tires on Keon Sab reportedly uh, newly entered into the transfer portal uh, after the departure of Jim Harbaugh from
1: Michigan. So that's a name I hadn't heard in a while. Uh, and I, I, did you bring up his younger brother, who Georgia offered when he was like in diapers? Did oh yeah, no, I absolutely did.
0: I said I, I, I said that. Uh, listen, for all the worry about what Georgia may not have done with Josh Downs, when it comes to Caleb Downs, they offered uh, Keon Sab's brother like ten years ago. Like so, yeah. like that scholarship offer has been proffered and extended. So therefore, if that's a prerequisite
1: for elite safeties, in the case of Sab, you can check that box for the dogs. Yeah, Mari probably is on the short list of. I kind of keep these records um on the short list of um basically earliest offers for Georgia ever. Earliest means what time of school year they were. It'd be really hard for me to keep the actual month and year. Like, but Amari's on that list. Like Amari's a guy that he's a 2026, 20, so he's still got a while. But the thing you need to know about Keon Sab is it take it takes you back to remember Brandon when Venable's was recruiting for Clemson, and yeah. uh, he took the Oklahoma job. Well, Clemson had like three or four, or five stars in that for the defensive side of the ball in the class that they lost. Georgia, you will remember, and gleefully chortled that they benefited from that. That's how they ended up ended up with five star corner Daylon Everett. Venable's leaving Clemson. That's how Keon Saab leave Clemson. He was committed to Clemson. He ends up in Michigan. Um, you know, Venables might even be in Oklahoma might even be a, a stop there for Sab. But I I would say Georgia. I mean, Brandon, remember like Kirby Smart signed like 12 defensive backs in 2017. When he's not happy with his defensive back room, he goes overboard like some folks, an auntie or a grandma or a mama with Christmas shopping or something like that. But um, they brought in Jake Pope. You're hearing great things about Jake Pope. They still got Dan Jackson. So like, the safety cupboard is not there but you know Keon Sab's a great player going to play in the league so i'm i'm quite positive that Georgia will at least kick the tires on that
0: one so let me ask you this whether it be Sab or somebody else i i joke about this all the time i no longer care about scholarship numbers i, I i'm not interested because the best i can tell georgia's got 90 or whatever right now and seemingly that's not slowing down their pursuit of other players even though there's supposed to be an 85 man limit so you know how does georgia sort of do this i mean clearly they're bound by the same rules everybody else is but they also have you know their own trade secrets when it comes to their accounting practices on this give me just sort of a small simple thumbnail sketch of how georgia seems to manage this when it i mean i didn't even think all of last year uh by appearances georgia was over the scholarship number there as well we know they can't be so what are they
1: doing yeah i know you have a lot of loved ones that are accountants in your circle brandon sure. but like I would say that there's a way that there was ways that they can get some trickeration going here with this and what i mean by that a small little detail is like brandon we obviously don't know who all comes to the university of georgia on scholarship they can be announced they can be trumpeted but that young man could be a really bright student and he can get academic money from uga or he might not even need the full athletic grant or there could be players that have already graduated players that have been on campus for a couple years and still not playing and they decide to go off scholarship but maybe pay their own way or they're strong enough student where they can get garner scholarships internally on their own brandon walk-ons now it's it's not unheard of for walk-ons to get collective dollars as well so they could pay their way through so there could be a lot of creative cooking of the books here which would all be above board but what what you know general joe media type or general expert media type that keeps these things on spreadsheets knows that they can put down they can put down 87 88 89 scholarships on paper and that might not actually be reality the other thing to think about there as well is there's still i believe 7 8 more bulldogs that have not yet report reported on campus in this class and there's some that can graduate there's some that can move on after the spring after spring practice and hopping to the transfer portal that may transfer portal, April transfer portal window. So it's all about, do you have 85 on scholarship at one time enrolled drawing aid? So you can really blur a lot of lines there with some summer enrollees in May versus some yeah. graduates that take off and everything else like that. I mean, heck, Benjamin Urosek could even get an NIL deal as well as a grad transfer student as well. and Not exactly have to be on scholarship. Now, there, there's minutiae here. Like, if you're not on scholarship, the team can't feed you. You can't show up. You can't practice on certain days. So there's minutiae to kind of check it out at times.
0: Uh, we talked about Ellis Robbins before you joined us. as a guy you wrote about, you know, not too long ago at dognation.com. And obviously, he spent a lot of time around. Uh, ESPN kind of calls him an instant impact player, perhaps even more so than some of the other transfer you know guys on their way to Georgia who obviously have a lot more college experience. That's in keeping with the recruiting profile for Robinson. So I guess I'm curious to hear from you, how much of an immediate impact do you think that Ellis Robinson could make on Georgia here this
1: year? He, he's one of those guys, Brandon, could take a man's job. He's a job taker. I mean, Dalen Everett's going to be in year three. We mentioned him earlier. Julian Humphrey was basically beloved in order to Georgia to keep him back and to bring him back in and keep him out of the portal, you've got a lot of options there at corner. You got Daniel Harris, man, who's really turning in some impressive off season buzz and GPS times really all throughout his freshman year. He's got length, but Ellis is different. Brandon, I've been here for, the Keely Ringos. I've been here for the Kamari Lassiters. I've been here for Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes. I mean, Nylon Green, all these five-star, highly-rated corners. There's never been one quite like Ellis. 24-7 Sports even had him as the number two now, the number two all-time prospect the Dogs have ever signed. Uh, Justin Fields, I believe, is the only one that was higher-rated entering college than Ellis Robinson. Super player, super length, Brandon, he's been living a college athlete's mindset at IMG for several seasons now. He's just hardwired, man. He's a dude. He's ready to play. He loves competition. He's got length. He checks every box. I mean, internally, you hear things from the Georgia staff coming in, and they also kind of tout those rankings a little bit. You've heard that they feel that he is as skilled as any corner they've brought into the program during Kirby Smart's time which might as well be forever, with great apologies there to Champ Bailey great apologies there to Champ Bailey. Rankings weren't really around, so sure. Champ Bailey could be like a .999981 or something like that, but we all know how good Champ was, and I don't have any problem folks keeping the receipts there for saying, I think Ellis Robinson can be that type of cornerback, Not maybe not that special athlete that went both ways for Jim Donnan back in the day.
0: So you mentioned a couple of interesting names that I think are worth making the comparison here. I think about a Tyson Campbell, and I think about a Keely Ringo, and Obviously, both those guys came with huge expectations too. But people who had watched them in high school would say, you know, Tyson Campbell actually hadn't played much cornerback, you know, prior to being sort of classified as one. Keely Ringo was a great athlete, but in Arizona, a lot of that's on the offensive side of the ball, right? I mean, we knew he'd be a cornerback at a place like Georgia, but a lot of that was more about the long arms and the athleticism, more so than like the polished cornerback play. Here's what I'm curious about from someone in your perspective who's seen Robinson a lot more. How does he compare in terms of the overall polish? Not just the athleticism, he's clearly got that, and he's got the length, the size, but how, I guess, well-trained is he? How polished is he? How much more of a true cornerback is he right now than guys like Campbell and Ringo would have been when they first came into
1: Georgia? I think that's the difference, Brandon. I think uh, I think Ellis, about the only thing you can find somebody to say about Ellis is he doesn't run a 4-4-3 yet. Like, he's only like a... High 4'4", low 4'5". That's about the only thing. He doesn't have that, you know, Mach 2 with your hair on fire, Top Gun Maverick speed yet, but he's plenty fast. And he's also been well-trained. Brandon, the other thing that he's benefited from is he's had kind of like a Lakers-Celtics rivalry on the recruiting trail. What I mean by that is everybody views Jeremiah J.J. Smith, the Ohio State signee, as kind of a generational uh, prospect. And it's funny, Brandon side road here i think the modern definition of generational means you're probably as good as anybody that's came out in the last 5 or 10 years it it gets skewed a lot because um the term generational sounds really great um i've heard, i've also heard a really smart scout tell me that they just to- totally changed the way they view that term generational to them means that you could play in any era you could play in champs era you could play in lester hayes era. era you could play in dion's era you could play in any era that you just have that ability um i don't think it's quasi classified anymore as you're the best player to come out in a generation so i, I do think ellis is very special Perhaps the things that, uh, the, that the fan base will get to see is he has incredible length. He has incredible technical polish. But going back to my Lakers Celtics point, he went head-to-head with Jeremiah J.J. Smith, the guy that they feel is a tick above scouts feel, analysts feel, is a tick above what even like a George Pickens type was, a Marvin Harrison was coming out of high school. And Ellis wanted to share those battles. He won more than his share of those battles. Sometimes he won, sometimes he lost, but everybody came away from that thing thinking, Jeremiah J.J. Smith is the number one receiver in America. And they feel that Ellis Robinson is a number one corner in America as well, like Daryl Stingley type impact. That's the type of that's the type of buzz coming in about Ellis Robinson, and he certainly lives up to it from everything I've seen so far. You wrote the other day about Tyler
0: Atkinson, who's rising junior linebacker from Grayson. I'm not a scout; I don't pretend to be one, but uh, as somebody who watches a lot of high school football in Georgia, I don't know how many defensive players in our state right now are better than Atkinson. I think he fits in, to my eyes anyway, with some of the players you've seen come out of Grayson here over the course of the last decade or so. This is a guy that I think the Georgia fans, if they're not already fully acquainted with, are going to really want at UGA before it's all said and done. So kind of piggybacking off your story from the other day, give us a little bit of an update on kind of where things stand with Atkinson here right now.
1: Yeah, I think Georgia, what's the term here? Well-positioned. I think he's probably going to go. He's got a top 10. I think there's probably three or four schools that can land him. I think Georgia is definitely one of those. The thing that's special to me about Tyler is work ethic. And he is a Georgia guy, even if he doesn't kind of commit to Georgia or sign with Georgia in the thing where he he sits at home at night thinking, have I got my lift in? Have I got my speed in? Have I got my film in? He already treats his career like he's a professional. He's pouring into hours because he knows those will pay off for him. It's about 6'3", about 205 right now. Looks like for Georgia, the projection is to be an inside backer and then go pass rush on third, on third downs, kind of like Jalen Walker a little bit on third downs. And this is different, man. I'm going to tell you, doing this a lot of years, 150, 140 tackles for a senior is like, wow, terrific year, All-State year, All-American year. Well, Tyler, as a sophomore, had 197 tackles at Grayson High School. They don't play any uh, cupcakes on that schedule. And he also had 10 and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows where Tyler is. And the great schemes they have at Grayson were able to keep him clean so he could fly free to the ball and make plays. But, Brandon, I've been watching Tyler since he was in the eighth grade. That makes me think of Amari Sab. We were talking about him earlier. Yeah. Tyler was one of those offers. And I looked at, I looked, this kind of, Tyler kind of, teaches me something now. When I see an eighth grader and I go, he looks like a guy Georgia would offer in the 10th grade. That's a Georgia guy. That's a special football player. And that's where kind of Tyler is right now. And when he was a ninth grader, he looked like a junior with Georgia offers. Last year with 197 tackles, he he looked like a senior with Georgia offers. He told me recently, Brandon, that he's looking and preparing for his junior year of high school football like it's his first season of college football. Mm. Again, that two years, looking two years ahead mindset. Now, Brandon, I know you'd think two years ahead with your shows and everything (laughs) else, kind of plotting everything out, but when Georgia tells him you're okay in these areas and you need to get better, and this is what you'll have to get better at by the time you get to the college level, man, he takes that to heart. He's already like, no, these are weaknesses I have right now. Let me fix those. Let 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 me just buff out those problems. Let me polish up those areas mindset i mean he's a stupid good athlete he's really strong brandon he's been working with marcus howard since Mm -hmm. his eighth grade year working on pass rush working on mindset working on technique this is a guy that will be a plug-and-play player in college football well real quick as a follow-up on this
0: you've mentioned something that i also noticed as well which is like you know 24-7 list him as a linebacker they don't list him as an edge rusher so it sounds like that's just sort of conventional wisdom that he is an inside player to place like george is that what i'm hearing you say
1: yeah, definitely, kind of the guys that stacked up a stack backer, but like, Brandon, let's face it, th- this day and age, you got to be six five and a half with go-go gadget arms to get rated as an edged guy. Now you got to look like, you got to look like maybe uh, you know, Damon Wilson even looks a little small for that. But you got to look like a Marvin Jones. You got to look like there's a young man out of New Jersey right now, uh, a Nigerian native, Darrid Ikennaban, and that's a guy that really likes Georgia. Georgia made his top eight, but it's kind of like, you know, I know you're a theme park guy and you've got a certain, you remember those rides as a kid where you've got to be this high to be able to go on the ride? Well, you get into Uzo Deribe's room, you got to probably be about 6'5 with about an 82-inch wingspan. you got to weigh about 240 because if you're just merely a 6'3 mortal, sacking guys left and right people will kind of think you're more of a linebacker that can maybe freelance into third down
0: we talked about we talked to terrence edwards yesterday about one of his guys that he's training up the four-star wide receiver from westlake uh travis smith here uh you this is one, one of those names that I think is going to be important for Georgia because the wide receiver position continues to be a position of need. Now, as we always point out, Georgia is still succeeding with the receivers that it's getting, but it's not, you know, really winning a lot of high-level recruiting battles for wide receivers. And interesting to have a guy like that kind of in the Atlanta area in state, obviously a high school teammate of Wayne Gaston, who we know that Georgia is going to be recruiting there as well. How do you handicap the race for Travis Smith here right now for Georgia?
1: I think it's pretty good. Uh, I think Georgia got in quick. Uh, There's the development factor there. Georgia's prioritized. And Brandon, Georgia offered him back last summer when he had no stars. He did have a couple offers. I think Georgia was like his fourth or fifth offer. But he was 6'4", 195, burned up Georgia's camp. Georgia makes him feel like a priority, Brandon. You'll love that he loves to block, loves to get to the rock, loves those George Pickens highlights when he is embarrassing someone's child uh, at the snap uh, in major college football playoff games. And I'm going to say this, Brandon, and I know we love hot takes and we love people to be polarizing and, you know, really screaming from the top of their lungs. But, Brandon, we've reached a point, man, Georgia might just be a transfer portal school in terms of the elite guys i think travis is a top 10 re- wide receiver in the country on on3.com i don't think if georgia can't sign smith with atl connections with Mac, with priority with getting on him early with you know constant visits or whatever if georgia winds up not being able to sign travis smith man i'm just going to go ahead and chalk it up and say the degree of difficulty for that top ten, those top 10 wide receivers Might be beyond Georgia's skis. No matter how well Georgia develops, might no no matter how well BMAC recruits, no matter how many wins they have, um, I do feel that the top top wide receivers in the country are looking for that inducement from a collective, that NIL package. And I don't think Georgia's a program that's wired to do that right now. And I think Georgia will be competitive, but they will not be a high bid for a lot of these wide receivers where the going rate is very healthy, very healthy six figures right now. And travis is also above all the other things man he is a great fit potentially for georgia his top eight i kind of broke it down a different way than i've done in the past because it was the way i wanted to show readers that when you stack up all the schools and he's got georgia tech auburn alabama um, colorado's in there oklahoma's in there georgia putting the ball in the air brandon you remember how we talked about this a long time years ago with Jaden hazelwood where he wanted to see the ball in the air well Georgia, the only only school there, and thanks for flashing that graphic, um, the only school there that has air raid numbers or throwing numbers, offense numbers, that compares with Georgia over the last year is Oklahoma. Georgia's actually second. I think Georgia was maybe 11th in overall passing offense, and then they were fifth or sixth in overall a total offense. And, you know, Carson's numbers are even better than that. During prime time and not garbage time, Carson was one of the top five statistical passing yardage guys in the country. So mm-hmm. Georgia is able now to kind of remove that demerit. I talked to a lot of receivers over the last week, Brandon, and the negative recruiting when people say, oh, yeah, you think Georgia throws it a lot, but not to the receiver. They're throwing it to the, to the Brock Bowers. Well, high school receivers I talked to, they get it. Maybe it's counter-programming from Georgia but people know who Brock Bowers is, and they're like, well, duh. Right. You want to throw it to the top 10 draft pick in the nation. Like, are you telling me Georgia's not going to throw it to a top 10 NFL pick so they can just make the numbers look better for their receivers? No, they Georgia's going to get the ball to the most talented guy. They're going to spread it around. Brandon, there's a lot of talk right now about Georgia potentially pairing up a guy like – we had Ethan Barbour on our show before the hedges this week. C.J. Wiley at Milton, who I believe led the state in receiving yards a year ago, almost 1,500 yards in receiving through 15 games, I believe 14 touchdowns. Travis Smith and C.J. Wiley are really close. They trained together with Terrence Edwards. They were at Georgia for junior day. I was speaking to C.J. Wiley recently, and he basically said, man – Barbour at tight end, who those two also know really well because barboard is really recruiting them hard for the dogs but he said i'm on one side travis smith is on the other side barboards at tight end there's no way people are stopping that that would be unstoppable so georgia is able to recruit these guys where these guys are thinking we can go and be part of an arsenal of offensive weapons at Georgia
0: real quick final thing here uh saw where Christian Garrett uh, dropped the top seven a little bit unusual to see a four-star defensive lineman from Athens obviously they just don't you know it's kind of a small community they don't really produce a lot of you know defensive linemen of that caliber necessarily also you sort of think of Prince as being a little bit of an offensive program Aaron Philo, Brock Vandegrift uh but obviously producing a big-time defensive prospect here and it seems like this may be a name for us to think about as this 2025 recruiting cycle sort of plays out here over the course of the next few months
1: Big name. I mean, the thing with Christian Garrett is, I think, you know, Clemson and Georgia seem like to me the teams to watch there. Those are the two schools that he's already established official visits for. Uh, He's a guy brand. The thing about him from a scouting perception that makes Christian so different is there's a lot of people nationally that are like, most of the 6'4 kids in America are usually right around 230 pounds. Some are linebackers or maybe they're wide receivers that are 200 pounds and then there's a range from if they're not 240 they they might be 320 or 320 or 330 because they're interior defensive linemen for christian he's about 6'4 about 275 280 and that's a very rare height weight metric there for an elite all-american type defender there's not a lot of guys that have that weight on them already at that size and that height that won't play like an interior defensive lineman they can play outside a little bit Christian's been to Athens a lot. He's a great kid, super kid. He feels like a a guy that would fit well in with the culture there at Georgia. Also throw some flowers to Prince Avenue because very quietly, maybe not so quietly anymore, they're becoming a program that's starting to churn guys out when maybe the Athens area didn't have a lot of, a lot of players like that. They usually have about two, one or two power five guys every year. Now Christian's another great example of that. Speaking of, kind of evaluation and blossoming. I think this is going to be a big weekend for a lot of guys in the state, man. The Under Armour camp is in it uh, for Atlanta. That's basically the last bastion of – I remember the days when there was an Under Armour camp and there was a Nike opening camp and there was, you know, multiple national regional uh, kind of stops that came through and prospects went at it. And, And traditionally, Brandon, in Atlanta, kids are not even planning to play in the Under Armour. We'll still go compete in that because they want that good, good work. But they may be going to the the All-American Bowl out in San Antonio, but they still want to come to the camp. They want to get better. They want to kind of test their oil and check their oil against the other better prospects in the nation, or at least the Southeast. I expect Travis Smith to be there. And Brandon, Travis is going to work out at receiver in front of a lot of national eyes, those mm. guys that – move guys up the stars, and he will probably, if Travis does what Travis always does, he's going to goose his rankings coming out of that up from maybe a top 25, top 20 receiver on all the composites to where most are going to see him as a top 10 receiver in the country, and rightfully so. I'm on record that I think he's one of the best high school pure receiver prospects that have came out of the state of Georgia in quite some time. Now, Travis Hunter was obviously an athlete. Nicole Harden was also an athlete. But as far as a pure wide receiver, Travis Hunter has a lot of game, and that's a guy the dogs kind of really have to sign in 2025. Yeah, Travis Smith, you mean. Travis Hunter, <laughs> that ship sailed. <laughs> Travis Smith. I got my Travs mixed up. but No problem. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm speaking it into existence, man. Maybe Travis Hunter will portal. Back home for his junior season. I like the thought of that, Jeff.
0: That's really good stuff. We appreciate your time today. Lots of interesting recruiting information, obviously, and a lot of fun stuff to follow in the uh, months to come as this 2025 recruiting cycle uh, starts to take shape here a little bit. So we certainly appreciate that. Jeff, have a great weekend. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Thanks for your work for next week when it comes to our Dog Nation Roundtable. We certainly appreciate that. And, of course, uh, back here again on our program very soon as well.
1: Yeah, I love that, Brandon. You got some game for people next week, man. I guess I could, we call it the roundtable. I like the huddle is the name of that okay. for our group as well, but that's a good stuff. I'm sure folks will get a kick out of that. Thanks a lot,
0: Jeff. Appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Group. Yeah, love that. 2025 recruiting cycle starting to get going here. Some of these names to know for 2026 there as well, and who knows, stirring the pot of the possible transfer portal rumor. We're not afraid to do that every now and then there as well. All in good fun of course and speaking of good fun it's time to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and man oh man there's a lot of fun to be had when it comes to royal caribbean here in 2024 but no more important piece of fun to think about in that dog nation cruise coming up in april leaving from port canaveral going to perfect day coco kay nassau in the bahamas honestly it's that private island oasis right there uh, that i think is unlike anything any other vacation has to offer for you i mean really uh about my favorite place in the world to be is right there perfect day coco okay that's always been true it's even more true now if you're watching a video by the way you see perfect day coco okay kind of off in the distance there but the point is it's the debut of hideaway beach that makes that now even more true than ever it's kind of an adults only enclave sort of added on to the thrill side the chill side the sort of things that have made perfect day coco k famous and if you like the sort of vegas style pool party chance to have a cabana right there by the ocean you know kind of just a really a relaxing enjoyable uh experience that's what hideaway beach now a part of perfect day coco Cay, is all about that's why we want you there with us when we all go to perfect day coco Cay is a part of our dog nation cruise coming up in just a couple of months time here so jessica slater the travel agent here's what royal caribbean believes that a great royal caribbean cruise vacation is made even better you have a terrific travel agent who helps you plan all of that because there's a lot of options considering things like that you know if you're thinking about something beyond the dog nation cruise it's the ship that you want to sail on the port you want to leave out of the uh the ports of call that you want to visit and a great travel agent can sort of help you with all those options and choose what's really best for you and perhaps your family so uh the one specially selected for us is jessica slater you hear me mention her name all the time and we want you to give her a call 770 718 9147. That's 770 718 9147. You can also email her, Jay Slater at dreamvacations.com, royaldogs.com. That's an email she's put together about the dog. I should say that's a website that she's put together about our Dog Nation cruise. You can cover all of that ground with her. All right, cruising around the SEC now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Yesterday, big announcement from EA Sports, the college football video game, kind of teasing more about that. My understanding is we're going to get full details. About the game coming up in May, all kinds of chatter right now though about what this game is going to be like, and for really an entire new generation of fans who've never experienced this game in sort of what we think of as sort of modern times and kind of contemporary times, uh, they're about to get that chance. I can tell you, my household—I have a young son. Santa Claus brought him a, you know, a, one of these, you know, PlayStation Five, so he could have that when the game came comes out later on in the uh, summer. Uh, I'm going to get my own controller so I can play with him there, too. You know, I've never been a huge video game person, but I just think there's a lot of excitement here around this game. And I love the idea of kind of having something like this back. And just more college football in our lives is never a bad thing. And obviously, yesterday and throughout this week, you've seen some of the reaction to this. You see how true that really is. I also saw where our friends at 24-7 Sports kind of had their ranking of the players they believe would be the 10 highest rated players in this particular game. Because keep in mind now, the names will be used. It won't just be, you know, Georgia quarterback number 15. It'll be the actual player himself. And, you know, of the top 10, Ollie Gordon, I think, from uh, Oklahoma State, ranked number one. You had Shadur Sanders and uh, uh, Travis Hunter both in there for Colorado. Obviously, you expect them to get some love. Uh, Carson Beck was the lone representative from UGA, who 24-7 kind of had ranked in the the 10 players they believe will be the highest rated in this video game. Brad Crawford had that story 24-7 sports. But the bottom line is, I do think that In addition to just sort of playing the game, which a lot of people are going to enjoy doing, I do think conversations like that of who's rated where and the experience that you're having, I just think it's going to make the college football conversation once we get to the summer, I think it's going to make it a lot more fun because we'll kind of have this to to talk about. And so anytime you're bringing more college football into the discussion, we're always sort of happy about that. Now, the exact opposite, 180 degree opposite direction here, Involves the story coming out of LSU. We obviously like, you know, go back and forth with rival teams, things like that. This is not really one of those stories for us though. Just very, very serious situation involving Trey Holly, a running back at LSU, uh, who's now been suspended indefinitely because he's facing a second degree murder charge here right now stemming from a shooting that happened in Louisiana. Uh, Holly didn't play a ton for LSU last year, but at one point in time, he was freshman of the week. So he was clearly involved at least a little bit there at LSU. And this is one of those stories you just sort of mentioned because you need to. Uh, it's obviously a serious situation. I don't have a whole lot in the way of like specific details, but obviously a uh, pretty harrowing uh, story coming out of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Trey Holly, a running back facing a, uh, a pretty serious set of criminal charges here. Back to a little bit more of a happier, uh, I guess, uh, chatter, at least within the boundaries of football. So Matt Rule, the Nebraska coach, was talking about uh, Dylan Riola and the expectation of Riola this upcoming year. And the thing that Rule was really trying to push was this notion of, you don't have to try to come here and be the five-star. You don't have to try to you come do that. Well, just take your time and grow and develop. That's the, the basic gist of what uh, Riola was told, uh, apparently by Matt Rule, who relayed that to the uh, public. And what I find interesting about this is I'm not trying to be, you know, funny here, but you go back and think about the the really weird AI generated poem that Ryola shared when he went to Nebraska, the idea of not being a cog in the machine, you know, a place like Georgia, he's just another guy, but he can chart his own path much to the delight of Kirk Her- Her- Herbstreit. If he goes to Nebraska, here is the flip side of that. And listen, at this point in time, I think Georgia fans have long since, you know, stopped being worried about the fact that Ryola didn't go to a UGA, but I do think, you know, rule statement here of, oh, just come here and develop and just take your time. We don't need you to be the five-star. But we all also realize how untrue that is, that if you come to Georgia, you do have a chance to develop. You know, uh, Carson Beck's your starter. We think that uh, Gunnar Stockton, as we said many times, would have probably been the backup. And a guy like Dylan Riola would have had the room to grow, much the same way that Arch Manning is right now at Texas. Riola would have had that room in a place like Georgia. In a place like Nebraska, that's just not so much the case, that – you know, if you spend the kind of money that Nebraska allegedly spent on him, knowing the desperation those fans have to be even relevant again, forget forget good, forget competing for a championship, just to not be embarrassing anymore, that there is a level of pressure that Riola will feel at Nebraska that's not the same as it would have been at a place like Georgia where he would have just had more space to mature. So uh, it's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a true thing that there will be more pressure and this idea that Rule says, oh, we don't need you to be the five-star Well, no, that's exactly what they do need. That's what they paid for, and that's what a lot of those Nebraska boosters and fans will be expecting to get. So uh, that'll be a a development worth observing. And then finally, um, sort of the Columbus Dispatch, which is the big news entity based out of, obviously, Columbus, Ohio, did a pretty deep dive on Ross Bjork, the new Ohio State Athletic Director, kind of looking at some sort of troubling (laughs) uh, 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 moments in Bjork's past stemming from his time at Texas A&M and before that Ole Miss and obviously some of the NCAA stuff around the time at Ole Miss. And it certainly seems like the reviews here are a little bit mixed of, you know, what exactly happened in his past and are we sure we want this guy there at Ohio State? I mean, what we said at the time was, you know, forget any kind of like NCAA scandal or anything like that. We just sort of view him as a man, of very limited professional accomplishments, you know, kind of funny to see him continually climbing the ladder without really much of a resume to, to justify that. But, but you know, as far as like the NCAA stuff goes, I mean, who knows? Uh, I do think, though, it's interesting that for a lot of us who are longtime SEC fans, the one thing we've always heard from a lot of our Big Ten brethren is, is that down here in the South, we're all rednecks, we're all win at all cost, and you know it's cutthroat, it's winner-take-all, it's anything's fair, you know, uh, just the idea that it's sort of win first and, you know, we don't exactly have the same value when it comes to, like, academics and ncaa rules and all these things have you noticed that the big 10 sort of seems a lot more comfortable with this kind of thing now than they allegedly sort of used to be now we think that was always sort of uh pretentious nonsense but have you sort of noticed that like michigan for instance who would sort of hold itself up as the harvard of state universities had a coach this past year who was suspended multiple games for two different things over the course of the season, and Ohio State, who at one point in time would have said that you know we're more serious, we're you know we're in the Big Ten, we're classy, we you know we're this and that, uh, we we don't you know we're not as, we're not as bad as the SEC when it comes to the win now mentality, win at all cost mentality, and yet they sort of. <laughs> athletic director from the SEC who was about as win at all costs as there seemed like there could have been maybe this time at Ole Miss and, you know, certainly a little bit of an interesting uh, tenure there at Texas a there as well. I just think it's really interesting. As the stakes get higher and higher in the competition between, like, say, the SEC and the, uh, the Big Ten who could have proved to be the, the, the supreme, superior conference in college athletics, it certainly seems like whatever the Big Ten once sort of thought about the SEC – They're more than happy to resemble the SEC in as many ways as they possibly can. You can't help but notice that, can you? That uh, Ross Bjork, under a little bit of fire as he begins, fairly or not, by the way, uh, fairly or not, as he begins his time there at Ohio State, it certainly feels like more and more the Big Ten starts to look a little bit more like the SEC and maybe the uh, pretentious sort of high-minded criticism that that league once gave to the SEC Perhaps some of that not quite sticking the way that it once was. Uh, It'll just be worth paying attention to. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. A couple of golden shoes as we wrap up here on a Friday, starting with, speaking of issues in the SEC, um, So there's a story in the Orlando Sentinel the other day about Florida having some NIL concerns. Not having as much in the NIL coffers to sort of pay the level of player they perhaps need and so a website called blue blood's bias made more, Made a social media graphic for this that simply says broke you got billy napier standing there uh blue blood's bias saying the florida gators are struggling to raise money for their football program they go on to sort of describe some of the issues uh mad dog uh reaches out to me and says ba the hits keep on coming hashtag go dogs Yeah, we can clearly make fun of that. Uh, Florida having some NIL concerns, pretty funny stuff there, and worthy of a golden shoe indeed. On a happier note, we'll also give a golden shoe out of the Diamond Dogs there as well. They begin their season, UNC Asheville, this weekend. Best of luck to them this weekend and all season long. Golden shoe coming their way. And with that, speaking of the lousy, stinking gators, we'll also remind you that it's been 1,196 days since Florida has beaten Georgia. That is our Gator Hater Updater. Y'all enjoy your weekend. We'll see you back here Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We will talk to you then.